0: From the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, welcome to a special bite-sized episode of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm Jean-Philippe Courtois, JP. We hear a lot about how terrible the world is today, from the devastating impact of climate change to the coronavirus pandemic, the fuel crisis, and incoming inequality. For years, problems of this scale were left governments and international organizations to solve, but for more than 50 years, NGOs and CEO leaders have been coming together here at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in collaboration for action.
1: For so many of us who Don't know what Davos is to Mm. really experience firsthand to sort of deconstruct the myth from the reality I think is very important and I don't know about you Jean-Philippe but what I found here in the day and a half in Davos is it's truly about connection it's about drawing one another in which I think is lovely hi my name is Cheryl Dorsey I am president of echoing green a global nonprofit that supports emerging social entrepreneurs
0: Cheryl has spent over 20 years trying to mainstream the role of transformational social change leaders and to make the field of social innovation as inclusive as possible. An African-American woman who has served in two U.S. presidential administrations, she is president of Ecoing Green, that has invested over $50 million to help more than 800 changemakers kickstart their ideas. She has launched so many things that have made a difference in the world, investing intellectual as well as financial capital, and really putting so much into her leadership position. It is really a really huge privilege and honor to have her on a podcast.
1: Jean-Philippe, I am so honored and happy to be with you. Um, I should tell you that my mother was a French teacher, um, and, and my name means, as you know, dear in yes, French. So yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I feel like we're old friends already. <laughs> and thank
0: you for such a wonderful, perfect French pronunciation of my first name, first time ever. <laughs> Usually people call me JP. So that's wonderful. So before diving into the work of Echoing Green, I'd like to talk to you about, oh, you carved out your own path. I think you have an incredible pedigree, a medical degree from Harvard Medical School, a master's in public policy from Harvard Kennedy School, and many more. You could have chosen to pursue a very lucrative career, uh, and yet you choose to follow paths of social justice and social innovation. Why, Cheryl? Why that choice?
1: (laughs) Jean-Philippe, that is the big question. (laughs)
0: Of course, the why. Always the why. It is always the
1: why. In my own life, I think there's an interesting tension and interplay between expectation and passion. Mm. So coming of age as yeah. a young African American, um, education was the vehicle that my parents said um, would set my, and chart my course for the rest of my life. So because I was good at math and science, yeah. uh, at, early on, there was an expectation that I would become the first doctor uh-huh. in the family. Uh-huh. And um My mother was a guidance counselor, so she counseled me through my um, high school and college years. Um, But as I became more exposed to the world, I became really fascinated by a fundamental question that I think a lot of African-Americans ask. When you um, look at how we're viewed in society... As From the time I was a child, Jean-Philippe, the question was, why don't people like me matter? Um, And it became sort of the animating question that consumed me in school. I wanted to study it. I wanted to understand the sociology of it, the politics of it. But then there became a real zeal and commitment to trying to do something about it. How do we dismantle that system of caste or inherited hierarchy in order to make um, the world more just, equitable, and sustainable for all? And that's the journey I've been on ever since.
0: So let's start back in 1992. I think very early in your career, you decided to actually act on, on some of those issues and to become what you call a social entrepreneur yourself. And I think with the help of funding from Echoing Green, actually, <laughs> you launched the Family Van, a community-based mobile health unit in Boston. So what was the problem that you saw that led you to do that, which was the problem you are trying to solve? And what kind of transformative innovative solution did you come up with? So I'm, I'm kind of almost like interviewing you a few years <laughs> after
1: for the selection process of Echoing
0: Green. Shirley, tell me the pitch.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so nice to yeah. be on this side of it, jean I know. I'm a lot less stressed now that yes. I um, got the funding from Echoing yeah. Green to begin my career in social innovation. So in the early 90s, as you mentioned, I was in uh, medical school in Boston at Harvard Medical School, and there was a seminal article in our um, paper of note the Boston Globe mm-hmm. called Birth in the Death Zones mm-hmm. that looked at the rate that black babies were dying mm-hmm. in inner city Boston relative to their white counterparts yes. and the rate was a 3 to 1 disparity 3 to 1 wow. 3 to one, Jean-Philippe and that's horrific and inequitable enough mm-hmm. but the fact that it was happening um, in the vicinity of some of the world's best medical facilities Mass General Hospital, Brigham and Women's yeah. New England Deaconess seemed unconscionable yes. to me yes. so um Many ways, social innovation is what is that problem that you cannot turn away from? What it, What is your problem to own? You yes. want to talk about an ownership yeah, society, indeed. we should say, what is your problem? Yeah. What is that thing you will bleed for, the hill you will yes. die on? And for me, it was looking at women who could have been my sister, my cousin, my best friend, and thinking of what might it mean to have to bury your baby before the first year of life. And again, it was something that Um, was a calling. I couldn't turn away from it. So I was fortunate to um, link arms with the woman who would become one of my dearest friends, my mentors, Nancy Mm Oriol, who was an obstetric anesthesiologist who was equally moved as an African-American woman by this issue. And we agreed to figure out what we could do. And I think our trans. Formative solution, you can tick off in three ways. At the time, many people were not talking about cultural competency in medical yeah, care, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we get underneath medical disparity? So I think that was one innovation. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, what about trusting people and believing them? We defer to community wisdom. And I think last but not least, this notion, which is, which is what social innovation is all about. How do you blur boundaries and bring together different sectors, academia, business, civil society yeah. in a way that creates new and shared public value? And in many ways, Nancy and I saw ourselves as the bridge between the assets of of um, uh, Harvard Medical School yeah. and Harvard University yeah. <laughs> and the community, which had another set of assets, but there was not enough crosstalk yeah, So I together. think yeah. that connective tissue is one of the innovations that we brought to bear through the family Band.
0: Wonderful. I think I would uh, I would bet on you again 20 years after. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. <laughs> hey, Cheryl, you've done a fantastic job diversifying the voices in social innovation space and bring new voice in the movement, which yes. are very neat. I understand that over the past decade, 75% of your U.S. fellows were leaders of color. Yes. About 50% of our fellow, of your fellows identify as women, and 75% of your fellows are of the communities they serve. How did you make that happen to get it going in a way that is more natural and, and gives more opportunities, again, for all, all, all communities that should be represented?
1: So the first thing I'll say is that Echoing greed is unique relative to some of our other social innovation counterparts in that at its very founding, it was founded at the nexus of social justice and social innovation. So built into our DNA was this notion of justice and really going after structural inequities. The second thing. I will say um, is that we have worked um, very hard to be a fellow first community. Yep. We are by four of our fellows. I am an Echoing Green fellow who yep. is now on staff of Echoing Green. We have board members who mm-hmm. are Echoing and Green we'll fellows, and they are our greatest Um, source of accountability and oversight. And I think that makes us a dynamic, committed um, community that's really focused on equity and inclusion. Um, And then the last thing is we believe deeply in proximate talent and next generation leadership. We believe they know better than we do. So in inviting them in, if they can make their case to us, we will defer always to this talent. We're also lucky that now with a community of 800 or so fellows, they're our best ambassadors. There's such bright spots and yeah, sticky yeah, drawfully. Yeah. They're bringing in- The referral. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I also think we have spent 30 years now building last mile distribution mm-hmm. channels into communities so we get these yes. um, early stage leaders. And then last- Quickly, I'll say our selection process, and we've worked hard, and it's a a, a work in progress. It's one of the hardest things to do, I think,
0: in centralization, selection process. Isn't it? I agree.
1: And I think we've done a really good job of creating one of the most equitable selection processes that I've seen. Our... um, call for applications completely open. The first phase is completely blind. We scrub pedigree. We try to get out of uh, accumulated advantage. And we actually work with one of our fellows, Anu Gupta, who runs a wonderful Mm. company called Be More America, Mm. who looks at the science of bias. He does anti-bias training with our judges and our fellows. And I think through all of those things, Mm. we built a best-in-class sourcing and selection capability.
0: I love it. And there's so much I can learn from it myself, Cheryl. As you as you may know, we share that together. Something in common with you, which is my foundation called Live for Good. And, and of course, I have much less history than you do. We started that seven years ago. And now we have a community of 300 entrepreneurs. Wow. And what I found the hardest, exactly, is what you discuss is to get the most inclusive process yes. to make sure we can get a use from all all walks of life, as yes. we call it, Yes. Uh, and really get... Uh, to understand and assess the, the vibrancy in that talent. Yes. And the passion and the relationship they have with the cause they want to embrace. Indeed. So I'm calling them uh, in my philosophy positive leaders. Not that. <laughs> that's why uh, that's why I invited you in the first place, Sheryl, because I think you're a wonderful positive leader role model for that community in my podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask you the question: you already addressed some of that in your in your previous comments. What is it that you'll try to find when interviewing, connecting with potential, uh, these potential next racial positive leaders who are going to launch the next family events uh, of 2022, 2023? What is it that you are looking for into that, that? Those tons.
1: We have leadership qualities that we look for, yep. and then looking at the business plan or proposal, we heavily weight the leadership qualities leadership is and all way higher, way higher. Okay, way higher. Higher. okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm in, with you actually. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yes, <laughs> I'm <with> leadership you. <laughs> first. And yes. there's some, you know, we see thousands of business plans every year, Jean Philippe. Then you get very good at pattern recognition. And even though these social entrepreneurs work all over the world in many different um, categories of change—they have some sort of common um, characteristics. One is, and you—you you know this because you've talked about it—the role of passion. It's that catalytic yeah. fuel um, that keeps us going every single day and protects us um, when all of the knocks come. Second thing is, and you've said this as well, resilience. Failure mm-hmm. is inherent to the work of entrepreneurship, and we don't care that you fail. We want to—we care how you get up and continue on. So that path of resiliency uh, and endurance and perseverance. There's a quality that we coined um, at Equin Green called resource magnetism. Mm. It is a different thing than ch- charisma. Um, it is the stickiness of the leader. Um, the resources that most social innovators have is so small relative oh, to yeah. the scale of the problem They achieve scale often by making evangelists of their calls. So how do you draw in money, volunteers, media support? And they're the stickiest leaders I've ever met in my life, right? So those are some of the qualities we look for. And I have to say it is is highly correlated with the success of their enterprises. Uh,
0: You know, shifting to the reality of the world today, Cheryl, as well. I mean, we see we're just discussing together high inflation Coming up in the US and Europe and the rest of the world, maybe a forthcoming recession as well. Startups having more and more challenge to raise money in the US and Europe and the rest of the world. And I know that by design, it's even harder for social entrepreneurs in the first place to, yes. to access funds. So, what are your recommendations for listeners and for all those change makers in the world uh, to be able to attract the right investment these days to fund their passion for social innovation and change? And particularly, you, you mentioned that, right? In a place like Davos, how can you appeal as well to the corporate world, to the business community, in a meaningful way to drive that win-win partnership with that basically change makers community?
1: I think it's very hard to raise money. Yeah. Um, I've been in this work for a really oh, yeah. long time. Echoing Green is quite good at w- what we do. We still struggle to raise money. So just acknowledging that you are not alone yes. in this journey, I yes. think, helps. Yes. Um, it makes the journey a little less lonely. The second thing that I will say is um, figuring out how to tell your story Mm -hmm. in a way that finds the right partners. I also think there is a role for market makers like Echoing Green to try to fix those structural inequities that don't make enough capital Products or enough capital available mm. to social innovators. So for example, we are soon to be launching a new social innovation finance lab that's looking at a capital stack, mm. a blended finance yep. menu that we can offer to early stage social innovators. Yep. So they're not so um, yep. hamstrung by only one instrument. So what about philanthropic grants, alongside recoverable grants, alongside equity investments, revolving loans. So if we could increase that suite Suite for social entrepreneurs, it's the the next rung of the ladder that the social innovation field has to climb. And as for corporates, if corporates can truly see social innovators as key stakeholders, right? Right. Thinking about how it will help um, drive your business objectives, I think, is um, a mindset shift um, that corporates need to take into account.
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm fully uh, along with your views, Shari. I think in many ways, corporates can learn so much from uh, the social consciousness, but also social innovation yes. in a very tangible way from yes. social entrepreneurs. So uh, I look forward to supporting your efforts and others in that field. My very last question, yes. Shiro, which I think is at the core of my uh, of my attempt with this podcast. What are your special powers? that enable you to unlock the potential of so many change-makers around the world? What are those powers oh that goodness. you can share with all of our listeners?
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> What a final question, Jean-Philippe. But, but thank you. My superpower is I am a cultural translator. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? Um, and again, if you looked at my business card, you would see that I was a doctor. You would see that I'm a nonprofit executive. But no. I'm I'm really a cultural translator. So I'm a, a, a an African-American woman who grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in Baltimore, Maryland, one of the first neighborhoods in my city <laughs> to desegregate and allow my parents to buy a home. So I grew up celebrating Christmas, but equally celebrating Hanukkah with of my course. Bubby and Zadie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I also played violin in the high school orchestra and spent my afternoons playing Bach, Vivaldi, but running home at the advent of the creation of rap and hip-hop. So I was listening (laughs) to Sugar Hill Gang, Run DMC, and it was my... I was obsessed and it was my life, but um, it was important to me to hold both of these together. And then last but not least, I spent... Um, as an undergraduate and as a graduate student, um, was afforded the opportunity to go to Harvard University, one of the most important academic institutions in the world. And I spent my mornings there, but would often cross the railroad tracks to go over into communities in Boston um, to be in community. And I have to say, I felt equally comfortable in both. I, again, as a translator, I diffuse between ecosystem, between systems yes. and, um, share information across those divides, um, translate to the best of my ability. Um, and it has come into what I do for a living. I now diffuse between Wall Street and Main Street. And again, that level of comfort and facility. I hope, is bridging some divides and allowing resources to flow more equitably. Um, and I think that's why I've come into the world of social innovation. Um, and I think that's why I'm good at it, because I just have this particular skill set. And I think it's a wonderful and noble calling. And um, I'll look forward to passing the baton to folks who are more energetic, younger and smarter. Um, but I feel like at the end of the day, I ran the race as best I could.
0: Well, it's been fantastic. It's been such a pleasure to meet with you, Cheryl. And as you just talked about this uh, very special power you have as a cultural translator, it made me think about the powers of positive leadership because I've been trying to shape nine powers, but I think I may need to add a tense one, cultural translator now, in my (laughs) mix. (laughs) Because you made it very unique, very special, and I think there's so much truth in what you said. Being someone able to capture... The, 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 the insights the insights as well the, 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 the inner innovation of different communities different people coming together different stakeholders to out-innovate yes. and out-innovate for the benefits of the people so it's been a deep, deep pleasure Cheryl and I look forward to partnering with you as well Echoing Grain to continue and, and get your entrepreneurs to achieve more for the benefits of all thank you so much thank you You've been listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with me, Jean-Philippe Courtois JP. If you have enjoyed this episode, then leave us a rating and subscribe now, wherever you get your podcast. Goodbye.